This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the show for yet another week. Just a friendly reminder, this program is available as a podcast by going to Google Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud or Spotify and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. We upload a new program every Thursday morning or, of course, right here on RSN Carnival. You can hear it 6pm Wednesday nights. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be chatting to Travis Crockett. Now, he's an Aussie that's been based in Colombia for the last 10 years and he helped start the Bogota Bulldogs three years ago and just three to four months ago they began their own women's program. They've already recruited 20 footballers including some former Olympians and next month they'll be playing their first international friendly against the Denver Bulldogs of the United States. Stick around for that interview shortly. We'll also be looking at the state leagues with Ali Schiller on the Sample Women's Competition, Lauren Hodson on the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division and Ant Wingard on the QAF LW plus Lisa Roper takes a look back at Conference B of the AFLW 2019 season. But first, here's the latest women's footy news. Well, no doubt what's been dominating women's footy news the last week and a half has been the AFLW trade and signing period. It has been crazy. Ever since Katie Brennan put pen to paper saying she was jumping from the Bulldogs to the Tigers, there have been more players scrambling left, right and centre. In fact, three captains have found different clubs. The biggest one, perhaps, is Brianna Davey. The Carlton captain took them to a grand final less than a month ago. She is their club joint best and fairest, but she wants out of there and to the Wooden Spooners and the Collingwood Football Club, a club currently without a head AFLW coach. A big surprise, and we're still waiting to see if the Pies and Blues can nut out a deal as of recording. One woman that has put pen to paper, a big name, is Sabrina Frederick. She has left the Lions, left Queensland, come to Victoria. She has signed on with the Tigers for the next two years. Hi Tigers fans, I've just signed on to be a part of the Richmond Football Club. I'm so excited to be here, to wear the yellow and black. I can't wait to keep this on forever and, and be a part of this great culture. Let's go. Now, joining Frederick and Brennan at the Tigers include former GWS Giants players Christina Bernardi and Phoebe Monaghan. Maddie Brancatasano of Melbourne has joined the Tigers. And Illish Ross has left the Collingwood Football Club to join Richmond. We should mention, with Sabrina Frederick coming down from Queensland to Victoria, that there has been a trade organised. We thought there wouldn't be a trade considering it's an expansion club. But they've worked out a deal where Richmond's current first-round selection, currently pick 12 in the draft, has gone to the Brisbane Lions. Talking about the Lions, well, they're not happy. They've been uh, poached left, right and centre. They lost five players last year during the uh, expansion signing period and including one in Nicole Hildebrand to Collingwood and they have been raided yet again. The biggest name that has gone is their captain. Leah Kasler has left Brisbane and gone to the Gold Coast Suns as explained here by Brisbane Lions AFLW coach Craig Stasevich. Yeah, unfortunately we've lost a to the expansion club, uh, the Gold Coast Suns. So that's sad for us, um, but we fully understand Leah's situation where she's got a very hectic work life schedule at the moment with, uh, with her job and she travels up the highway uh, to come and train with us uh, three, four times a week, which is not great for her body at the moment, which is uh, she's struggled to sort of maintain over the last season. So um, while it's sad for us, with our blessing, uh, she joins an expansion club. She's been a an amazing ambassador for female footy in Queensland now for many, many years. And she gets to go down to a startup club. 
uh, we're sad to lose her, but uh, I'm sure she'll do a great job down there. Also joining Leah at the Gold Coast Suns include Lauren Bella, Tori Groves-Little, Paige Parker, Emma Pittman, Sam Virgo and Jackie Yorston. Of course, as we mentioned, Sabrina Frederick-Troyb has gone to Richmond and Bella Air has retired. Let's continue our look at the expansion period. The St Kilda Saints, while well, they've signed Alison Brad out of their academy system, they signed Alison Drennan from North Melbourne, Tasmania, Darcy Guttridge out of Collingwood, Selena Carlson out of the Western Bulldogs. Under 18 talent, including Molly McDonald and Isabella Shannon and Rhiannon Watt from Carlton. Like Alison Drennan and Selena Carson and uh, Alison Brown, they had all played for the Saints in the VFLW last year. And Rhiannon Watt told the St Kilda Football Club website about her experience uh, at Carlton during the 2019 AFLW season and what she hopes to bring to the Saints for 2020 and beyond. Yeah, I think it, it doesn't really matter who you are as an individual. It's about what you bring to the team and what you can do uh, on field and off field I think is just important and I think I learnt that at Carlton you know everyone was important on that list not just your top one or two players it's a real team environment and I definitely think that that's something that I pride myself on and I'm hoping I can bring that to the Saints. Looking at some other changes that have been happening, we can tell you at the moment with the reigning Premier's Adelaide, as of recording, no trades as yet. They are virtually untouched, bar the injuries, of course, to Chloe Shear and Erin Phillips. With the Carlton Football Club, delistings Shay Audley, Kirby Bentley, Renee Hicks and Bridie Kennedy. As we mentioned, they lost Rhiannon Watt to St Kilda. With the Collingwood Football Club, uh, they lost Darcy Guthridge to St Kilda, Illish Ross to Richmond, and, of course, Cecilia McIntosh has retired. The Fremantle Football Club, they've lost to the West Coast Eagles. Ashley Atkins, Melissa Caulfield, Brianna Green, uh, Courtney Gard, formerly Courtney Stubbs, uh, Dana Hooker and Paris Laurie. Uh, the Geelong Football Club, so far, have only reported that Erin Hoare has retired. If we turn our attention now to the Greater Western Sydney Giants, they've lost Christina Bernardi and Phoebe Monaghan to Richmond, as mentioned earlier. They've lost Maddie Collier to the West Coast Eagles and they've lost Emma Swan and also to the West Coast Eagles. For the Melbourne Football Club, only the one loss so far. Maddie Brancatasano has gone to Richmond. For North Melbourne, Tasmania, they have lost Alison Drennan to St Kilda, Jamie Stanton to the Gold Coast Suns, and Moana Hope was announced as a delisting. No word yet on Jess Duffin. Watch this space or Courtney Munn, both linked to St Kilda as of recording. Uh, for the West Coast Eagles, as we are mentioning earlier, they picked up a bunch of signings from Fremantle. Ashley Atkins, uh, Melissa Caulfield, uh, Brianna Green, Courtney Gardney-Stubbs, uh, Dana Hooker, Paris Laurie. They got back Belinda Smith from the Western Bulldogs. Uh, she originally played with uh, the Fremantle Dockers, of course, uh, for the first two AFLW seasons. They got Emma Swanson coming back to WA for the GWS Giants. And, of course, they also uh, picked up Maddie Collier. We mentioned in another episode how they got Michaelia Bowen, an under-18s player, and Rosie Deegan, an under-18s player. At the Western Bulldogs, they have lost Katie Brennan, of course, to Richmond. That made news last Last week, Selena Carlson to St Kilda. As we just mentioned earlier, Belinda Smith has gone to the West Coast Eagles. And Tiana Ernst, uh, for work reasons, has relocated to Queensland and will be playing with the Gold Coast Suns. That is your latest AFLW trade news. And almost getting under the carpet is news from the AFL that the competition committee at this stage looks to, re to recommend to the AFL commission that the conference system 
oh so popular that it was, continues for the 2020 season. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RACN Carnival Digital Radio, all the way from Columbia, South America. It's great to have on the line Travis Crockett. Travis, how are you? Yeah, yeah, Peter. Very well, thanks, mate. Thanks for having us. Great to have you on the line. And I think this is the first time we've actually done an interview with someone from South America. So how on earth did you find yourself there? Uh, mate, I've, I've lived in uh, in Colombia for about 10 years now. Um, I have an events company that I run here. But, uh, but yeah, I've been, uh, we've started the football program here uh, about three years ago, um, just with a couple of expats having a kick in the, in the park and then kind of developed from there. And how difficult has it been to set up what is known as the Bogota Bulldogs, considering, uh, I'm guessing Aussie rules is certainly not that very popular in South America, but also having to get over the language barrier as well? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, a lot of the expats that live here uh, are fairly fluent in Spanish, but, um, but yeah, it has been, it, it's, it's always a challenge in a, in a country that doesn't really have, uh, uh, you know, a lot of experience with contact sports uh, to set up a, a sport like Aussie Rules, where in particular, they don't really have any knowledge of, of how the game's played or the rules or anything like that. And, uh, and yeah, it is a significant challenge to get uh, Colombians to understand the game and, and, and come down to training and, and check it out and all that sort of stuff. And what has the exposure been like to people in South America for Aussie rules? If we take North America as example, um, they used to have it, as we know, back in the 80s on ESPN. Now they can see it on uh, Fox Sports 2 and Fox Soccer Plus. Over in the UK, I believe they've got BT Sports. So there's some channels that they can find, albeit niche channels. Uh, what kind of um, access do they have to actually seeing the game there in Colombia? Uh, well, we've got some resources from the AFL, uh, and we've been doing sort of information nights, uh, in particular with a with a group that we're working with. Uh, we're working with some charity based organisations here in Colombia, uh, and one orphanage in particular, uh, where we, you know, we've got kids from difficult backgrounds, uh, and we're doing a, a diplomacy program with the embassy, uh, of diplomacy through sport. And uh, that's been a source of a lot of uh, a lot of players for us, and a lot of young people that have uh, that have kind of taken to the sport. And uh, you know, we've done some information nights where we've kind of shown uh, you know old grand final footage and stuff like that, and uh, and uh, and different bits and pieces from the internet. Um, but yeah, they don't really have any sort of television access to it as such, and uh, it is really start from scratch with uh, with most of the Colombians. And how have you been reaching out to the community to try and attract players? As you mentioned earlier about the orphanages and the charities, has it been strictly that? I think of, uh, again, it's pointing to the North Americans, they talk about obviously social groups like Meetup, but on some occasions it's actually uh, viewing nights at uh, local bars that do sponsor their team. Yeah, I think the culture, for, uh, like sporting-wise here, is very different. Um, I mean, they are completely obsessed with soccer uh, and yeah, it's not something that's, that's very common for them to, to watch other sports uh, as such, unless there's kind of, you know, a Colombian and Olympic team or something like that. But, um, yeah, I, we've, uh, we've like, sourced from all over the place. We really just kind of cast the net as wide as we possibly can. Uh, working with uh, the embassy, we've sent out information to uh, Colombians that have studied in Australia and, and, you know, have some sort of knowledge of the game. Uh, there's obviously a, a fairly reasonable size expat community here of different different nationalities, and we've had uh, you know Scotsmen and Irishmen and Americans and Englishmen, French and, and all sorts come down to training. 
Um, so yeah, we've got a very broad base that we work from, but yeah, it's always a challenge, obviously, to get people to accept it as their, their number one priority. We had a lot of rugby players come down initially, but when they have to choose between the two sports, they tend to to stay with the sport that they've 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 been learning. Um, so yeah, it's been very challenging, but we've got a roster of about ninety players now, uh, and uh, you know it's uh, it's certainly taking shape with a with a, a local league of three teams now, and uh, and also just started up with the ladies. So as we said, the ninety covering both men and women. So let's talk about starting up the women's program. When did the uh, seeds of that first begin, and how did you go about trying to, I guess, approach women to say, hey, hey here's the sport you've never heard of, but we think you should give it a try. Well, yeah, I've, um, it was an interesting one. I, like the the ambassador uh, for Colombia and Venezuela, uh, Sophie Davies, was uh, was the first person to kind of spark uh, the idea. She she mentioned that you know the Victorian government were very interested in in us pursuing uh, sports with with women involved, and uh, and you know we uh, we we were fairly uh, we we thought it'd be fairly difficult to to get that up and running. But really uh, how it happened was just a bit of serendipity when we announced that uh, the Denver Bulldogs were coming to Columbia earlier this year. Um, the uh, the women's team over there also asked the question if, if they, they could come down and play our women's team, which we didn't have. And uh, and so from there, uh, it just uh, came about. We had one of my events uh, at, a, at a bar here in Bogota and uh, we were talking to a lot of people there. We had a little handball game a bit similar to lose handball off the footy show and uh and you know a few a few of the girls from rugby came over and asked the question and and were interested in in potentially playing and we said that you know there's there's an opportunity to play an international later this year and and uh and so yeah that really got a few girls from from that area excited a couple of ex-players that have played uh, rugby for columbia uh put their hands up straight away and uh and from there started recruiting some of their friends and everything so uh, you know, we ran some training sessions, uh, got a lot of girls down and, and sort of started teaching them the skills. And I think the thing that really attracted a lot of the, the Colombian girls was just the fact that they were included uh, a lot more in the club than perhaps other sports that they'd played. Um, you know, the, the, the men's team were training with the women's team uh, and the guys were just really friendly and helpful and, and trying to teach them the basic skills and, and they felt at home straight away. Talking about the basic skills, how have they coped? I believe what it's only been three or four months the women's program have been going. Uh, what are the things they, they, they're finding the easiest to adapt to and what's probably some of the skills they're finding hardest to? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's like anybody starting out with all these rules, especially if they've come from another sport. Um, you know, they throw the ball a bit. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, we, we've... Um, you know, we've got a lot of guys that, that come down that, that are, you know, guys that have had experience playing footy in Australia uh, and they've put a lot of effort in the guys from the football department and, and you know, just training the girls with the basics and things like that. Um, but, yeah, I look, they've adapted amazingly well. I, uh, we were all pretty stunned, actually. Like, we watched uh, a game on the weekend, which is only their second game of the league season. And uh, it looks like these girls have been playing for years they, and they all go in hard at each other and everything like that. And coming from a background where they really don't have a lot of experience with contact sports, uh, it was really impressive to see, see the girls, uh, you know, really going hard. What are the numbers looking like at the moment on the women's side of the program? Uh, yeah, well, we've got 20 girls that have um, put their hand up to play against Denver. Um, at this stage, we, you know, the, the USAFL have sort of cast a fairly broad net as well, uh, you know, inviting other girls from other parts of the States to, to join the Bulldogs down here. So we're hoping for a nines game. Um, but with the numbers that we've got down here, if we can do a sort of a mixed 
arrangement where we, we have a few girls in each team, uh, then we could potentially play uh, 12 on 12 and uh, and we've got a big enough ground uh, for the for the men's game so that we'll have a full-size ground for, for the men's game. So, um, you know, we can uh, we can certainly adapt depending on, on numbers. But, yeah, we're looking forward to potentially seeing a 12 on 12 uh, women's footy game. Now, you were mentioning about you've played two games so far, so I'm guessing at the moment you're using a nine-on-nines format. Has there been any particular players that have stood out to you early going, wow, she's really taken this like a duck to water? Uh, well, yeah, loads of them. Um, but, yeah, like uh, there's a girl called uh, Angela, uh, Angela Toro, uh, and she's um, yeah uh, from a rugby background, fantastic skills. Uh, she's, a, she's a big girl, so she's in the ruck and, Doing a great job there. Um, uh, Karen Cifuentes, who who played uh, rugby for Colombia. Yudi uh, Benavides, um, she's also a, a rugby player. And I got Erica Pereira, um, who have all uh, shown exceptional talent um, from the beginning. And there's another young girl, Alejandra, uh, who's come from from the orphanage program uh, that that we run, um, who is exceptionally skillful. We've uh, we put her in as a rover, and she's quite a small girl. And um, yeah, it's just uh, unbelievable skill for a girl who's never seen the game played before in, in a short period of time, in a couple of months, yeah. So really impressive, all of them. Have you been able to show them any video of the AFL Women's League and what are their impressions of the AFLW? Well, we didn't even have to do that. They all got on the internet and had a look for themselves. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, the girls have have developed so quickly and just been so interested in the game uh, that it's kind of become almost obsessive. I mean, they're trying to organize their own training sessions midweek and all these sorts of things. And, uh, yeah, they're, they've taken to it as if, you know, it's, it's a sport that they really, you know, have decided that, you know, that's their sport now. And, uh, and yeah, they looked all that stuff up themselves and started watching the, the AFL women's. And I think they're very inspired by the fact that there's so much focus now in Australia on, on the women's game. And, they, you know, I suppose they feel like, uh, there's a potential for them to progress into, uh, you know, potentially playing in, in the US or, or you know, uh, as far afield as Australia one day, maybe if we, we get invited to an international cup or something like that. Um, so they can really see, you know, uh, amazing potential for the sport for themselves and uh, credit to them. They, they, they really got into the research by themselves. Which is absolutely fantastic to hear that they've taken that on board. And you were just hinting about, you know, America and Australia and travelling. Let's just first of all look at the present calendar year. Uh, what is on schedule at the moment besides the Denver Lady Bulldogs of, of the opportunity for matches to be played by these women? Um, well, we're, we're trying to start a local league here. I mean, you know, like I said, we've got sort of 20 players at the moment, but it's, it's very early days. We feel like, you know, there's been such a take-up from, from some of these girls that we could easily... Uh, you know, double or triple those numbers within a very short period of time. And we're hoping the second half of the season this year we'll have a, uh, you know, we'll be able to form actual teams and have, uh, you know, a three-team league or a four-team league uh, where we can play the girls uh, against each other. Um, So, yeah, I mean, initially speaking, we integrated them with the men's and some of the girls who had a little bit more experience um, were were actually, you know, um, sort of having a crack in the men's games. Um, but yeah, as of two weeks ago, uh, we had enough girls come down that we could uh, we could actually play a, a lady, a full ladies game. Uh, and as I said, we've had two of those. And then and then later in the year, we're looking for I suppose a local league, and we're really hoping that maybe U.S. Nationals is a possibility. Uh, I mean, you know, financially speaking, it's very difficult for some of these girls, um, you know, having pesos to to be able to travel overseas and, and play footy. But um, you know, we're doing a lot of fundraising and working with the Australian government and hopefully, you know, we can find some sponsors and things like that and 
and maybe send the girls team to the to the, uh, to the U.S. Nationals at some point. That would be absolutely fantastic because essentially that would be your closest competition. And as you do look expanding, as we know, Bogota is about a population of 10 million people. Um, if you were to look around your, your neighbouring countries, where do you see the possible expansion of Aussie rules in Central and South America to hopefully, therefore, you have more neighbouring countries and more rivals to take on to slowly build the game? Yeah, look, I, I think there's probably potential across, uh, you know, across the continent. Um, and, I, you know, I, I really think, you know, Mexico City would be a, a fantastic place to have a look. Um, certainly in Argentina, uh, where they have a very strong cricket and rugby presence, um, then, you know, you'd have access to fields within Buenos Aires that you'd be able to potentially utilise for, for Australian rules because it's one of the big challenges, I suppose, in, South, in, in Latin America where, there's not uh, not really the, the opportunity to get a facility big enough to play uh, to play proper games with Aussie rules, but um, yeah, look, I think uh, there's a number of countries that we could approach uh, certainly, and we're actually uh, been invited to the ambassador's residence when the, when the Denver girls are here on uh, on Thursday the 25th of of May, uh, sorry uh, Thursday the 16th of May, uh, and the uh, and we're going to have a roundtable discussion uh, with the ambassador uh, about you know, how we develop the game across Latin America and and just drawing from the experience from the girls from the US because, you know, they've uh, already been through this process. You know, they're sort of 20 years into their uh, development. Um, So, you know, we can learn a lot from the guys from the US uh, and the girls from the US about how to to go about taking that next step. But, uh, but, you know, we're just really excited to have the opportunity to to play and, and, you know, have a visiting team come down. We're just really grateful for their for them to, to have taken that first step and invest the money and, and, and come down and, uh, and you know, have a tour in, in Colombia. Has there been talks with uh, any other countries to take them on? For example, and this is just obviously thinking off the top of my head, we know that the GB Swans will be taking on uh, the USA in the Transatlantic Series. We think it's 2024, I think, that the GB Swans come across to play in the US, opposed to 21, where the US go over to the UK. Has there been talks at, at that level to try and include them to say, well, if you're coming across this side of the Atlantic, why not swing down and play a game before heading up? Oh, man, we, we certainly wouldn't rule anything out at this stage. I mean, uh, like I said, we're very, very early doors in terms of the development process, but um, it's just been so rapid, the, the, the growth and the, the way that, uh, that these girls are taking to the sport that we just see, you know, a huge amount of potential um, for development. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bombers fan from <laughs> from back home. And, uh, and, you know, I remember when I was a kid, Kevin Sheedy talking about, um, you know, about the possible international expansion of the game and, you know, if we can, uh, we can be part of that in the region. Uh, you know, it's just been fascinating to see people who've never heard of the sport, who had no idea that it existed, that had it confused with a number of other different contact sports, uh, just fall in love with the game so quickly. Um, so yeah, it, it would be fantastic if we could uh, be included in those types of plans, and certainly any touring teams that are coming across from Australia. Um, you know, we're more than happy to put our hands up. And I mean, there's other regional teams uh, we've had chats with teams from Asia and, uh, and teams from Europe as well that are interested in coming down and playing the men. So, um, you know, if, if we can certainly do the, the same sort of uh, arrangement where we can bring women's teams across, then, you know, we're more than happy to participate in, in, any, in anything that, uh, that comes our way. As you mentioned, you're only about three or four months into the women's program. So what would you rate the chances at this present moment of a Colombian side participating in IC 2020 in Melbourne in August next year? 
Yeah, look, I think uh, the, the financials would probably make the decision for us there. It's a very expensive trip uh, from uh, from Colombia to to Australia. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I mean, anything's possible. Uh, you know, if if uh, we got a sponsor out of the woodwork or we got some sort of uh, financial support, then you know, I I would love to be able to to do that to have uh, you know give the girls that opportunity to have that experience. A number of the girls actually. Uh, played rugby for for Colombia and and played against Australia in in Brazil in the Olympics uh, in seven. So you know it, they've certainly got the pedigree, um, and it would just be a spectacular experience for them to to go to the home of footy and and you know and see what's happening in Australia. You mentioned earlier that you'll be meeting with the ambassador and uh, sitting at a round table to talk about obviously football in Colombia. Um, if you were to ask for one thing right now, what's the most important resource do you think that the Bogota Bulldogs need? to help grow the women's program? Um, I think, you know, uh, qualified coaching. Um, you know, like there's a, there's a lot of us who are old footballers um, that, you know, are doing our best in terms of, uh, of, of training and we're, we're trying to learn what we can off, off the AFL coaching programs that are available online that have been made available to us. Um, but certainly, you know, for me, the most important thing is that the girls uh, are being trained uh, to, you know, a, a tactically uh, approach the game at a higher level. Um, so, you know, I've uh, suggested to, to a number of people that we could do some sort of exchange program with young Colombian players, uh, with potentially, you know, country footy players in Australia or, or a club there to send them across for, for experience of a season and then potentially get some young players to come across to Colombia and spend a, a year over here, maybe training up uh, some, of, some of the girls and, and obviously the men as well, um, because we've got a lot of young Colombian players uh, like lads that want that want to get uh, stuck in as well. So um, that's uh, I think one of the best things that we could do in terms of uh, you know in terms of, of increasing the exposure to the game at a higher level, and also um, really starting to train these uh, you know these teams with a more professional approach to to, to their skill level. You mentioned, of course, May 18 versus the Denver Lady Bulldogs, who are six-time national champions, Division One level at the USAFL. Um, how did the initial conversations actually come about for uh, Denver Bulldogs and Bogota Bulldogs to meet up? Well, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things. We sent out some publicity to the USAFL teams. Uh, a lot of the guys that have played or have been through Colombia uh, that have played, uh, you know, sort of the, the games here. We we have a um, a game every year with the Santiago Saints, which is a team that uh, come from the capital city in Chile, and uh, and you know I've, we've got a lot of connections with with guys through football in the in the USAFL, and uh, we sort of sent out um, some information to all of the clubs in the USAFL, just you know asking if anybody wanted to come down. And, uh, you know, it took us a couple of years, but if, but we finally got uh, you know a confirmed. Uh, offer from from the Denver Bulldogs, and then uh, and then the, the Lady Bulldogs kind of ch- chirped up and said, you know, what about us? And uh, as I said, we, at the time we didn't have a team, so uh, you know we kind of just ran around working out if we could we could put something together. And uh, yeah, and I mean we've got to say thanks really to the, to the Lady Bulldogs in, in Denver for for really uh, being the catalyst to start this whole movement. And, uh, and, you know, we're really thrilled to, to be hosting and, and it's just going to be a fantastic experience for the ladies down here. Now, finally, for anyone listening, if they've got friends or family that happen to be just over in South America at the moment, whether working or backpacking, whatever it might be, and they can make it through Colombia on May 18, what are the details? Where can people find where the game's being played and at what times? 
Uh, yeah, look, if everybody jumps on the uh, the Facebook page, uh, Bogota Bulldogs, um, you can have a look on there and all the information will be on there. We're playing at a, a polo club, which is a little bit outside of uh, Bogota, but absolutely spectacular facility. Uh, we played a game against Chile there last year and that was all very well received. Uh, a bit of a carnival atmosphere. We've got a game of cricket going on the same day. And, uh, and yeah, the, uh, the game will be... Uh, the ladies game we've actually decided is going to be in the afternoon to give it a bit more... Um, a bit more uh, exposure um, because, yeah, on the weekend we actually the ladies played after the men and uh, all, all the lads hung around and sort of supported the girls. So uh, the men's game will be played at 11.30 a.m. and the uh, the ladies will be kicking off at 2 p.m. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, if uh, anybody wants to come down to Los Pinos Polo Club, we'll be running buses out of Bogota from, from the team hostel. Uh, it's called Hostel Selena. But all the details will be on our, uh, on our Facebook page uh, slash Bogota Bulldogs. Well, Travis, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best on May 18 when you take on the Denver Lady Bulldogs, and we wish you all the very best as you grow the women's program in South America. Thanks very much, Peter. Cheers, man. Time for our State League's wrap. We'll be catching up with our State League reporters in just a moment, but time for a brief look at what happened in the AFL Canberra Women's First Grade competition over the weekend. It was the opening round, and Balcon and Magpies 10-8-68 had a comfortable victory over the East Lake Demons, just four behinds. Tugwanong Hawks 1-1-7 went down to the Ainsley Tricolors 7-10-52, and a bit one-sided in this one, the Quimbian Tigers 26-13-169 defeated the Gungahlin Jets no score. And joining us on the line now with the ladies in the Sanford Women's Competition from the Two Crows podcast, it's Alison Schiller. Ali, how are you? I am fabulous, Peter. Thank you very much for asking yourself. Not too shabby at all as we look at round eight of the Sanford Women's Competition. There's an upset in there. We'll get to that in a moment. But first of all, as expected, Norwood, 7-6-48, putting away Sturt, 1-7-13. Yeah, big 35-point win there for the Red Leggers. In actually um, what people mightn't be aware of, it's an emotional game for both of the teams where the Ellen Maple medal was to be awarded for the first time. And this medal is in honour of Ellen Maple, who tragically passed away in a car accident in April last year, and she had ties to both clubs. The medal is awarded to the most courageous and determined player, and the winner for the first time for that medal was Najwa Allen uh, in an outstanding performance for the Red Legs. So congratulations to her. Now, essentially, you already set it up, Peter. The Red Legs have dominated this game with third single goal coming in the final quarter, um, and that came through from Georgia Bevan, while Allen and Dunn continued to dominate for Norwood. So disposes for Norwood, you had Allen on 32, Dunn 23, Hollock 15, Armistead 13, and Hill on 12. For Sturt, Ballard 17, Bevan 12, Baker, Dreco, and Ridger on 11. Goals for Norwood, the big three from Lindsay Big. Hill 2, Hollick and Dunn are one apiece. Georgia Bevan, as mentioned, with the single for Sturt. So Norwood's AFLW-listed players are firing on all cylinders and they will be a tough ask for any team. With two rounds left, Norwood sits two wins clear with the highest percentage and the only question is, can anyone stop them? Sturge still hold on to six spots by percentage. The reigning premiers, the South Adelaide Panthers, went in favourites against the Bays, but South yeah. Adelaide 2-6-18, knocked off by Glenelg 5-2-32. Well, well, well. This is the one I said, second verse, same as the first. So my question is, did the old Panthers get ahead of themselves after smacking the Tigers last week? 
Or are the Tigers pushing hard for a top four spot? The Tigers brought intensity, pressure and non-stop tackling to tame the old Panthers. With just a four-game old player by the name of Lauren Bungie opening up the game, kicking two goals in just over two minutes in the second quarter. And can you believe it that the Tigers held the reigning Premiers to one point up until half-time and it took into the third quarter for the Panthers to kick their first major. Panthers got within four points in the last quarter, but with their heads and hearts full of steam and a first win at their home ground beckoning, the Tigers, Bungie and Franson sealed the deal in a marvellous win for the Tigers. So the disposals there, Kellogg on 23, Tucker 21, Hartley, Bellinger on 15, Forster on 14, uh, for South, Kavora 17, Campbell on 16, Munyard 14, Wright 13. Goals for Ganelle, as mentioned before, Bungie with three, Forster and Franson a single. South, Halston and Kirk kicked one apiece. So were South caught napping or were they conserving energy for what could be a grand final preview next week? They stay second on the ladder while the Tigers keep the dream alive in sixth spot. It's been a very hard season for the Woodville West Torrens Eagles and they struggled again on the weekend. Just 1-1-7 against North Adelaide's 9-13-67. Ouch. That's probably one way to put this game when you've got a 10-goal win coming in. In what was initially a slow start for the old Roosters, their second and third quarters blew the feathers clean off the Eagles. Baltop showed her magnificence with a masterful five-goal haul, uh, whilst not only smacking her own record from last week, but also with an accuracy of 21.5, she will be gaining a bit of interest out of that. Britt Perry showing all her dual-code skills from the Big Bash League in footy with a strong 24-disposal two-goal devastating game, which smacked the opposition. The shining light for the Eagles was former GWS player Stephanie Walker, 21 disposals, and that's a four in a row now for North, um, who are sharpening their beaks for the finals in a ruthless 10-goal win. So for North, Perry 24, Daniel 21, Samson 19, Castle on 18, Reynolds, Davies and Tynan on 13. Sorry. For the Eagles, Walker on 21 and past me the Niles. I'm about to butcher a couple names, but I'm going to pronounce it. Sibeli on 18 and Boltai on 13 with Pengeli on 12. The goals, that wonderful five for Baltop, two for Perry, Nunn's Allen kicking singles, and for the Eagles, Farrier chipped in with their only major. The Roosters will be hoping for a red legs win next week and a big win themselves to see if they can take second spot. The poor old Eagles, in all honesty, just can't wait for the season to end. In the final game, it was a bit of a scrap. West Adelaide 3-8-26 getting over the line against Central Districts 1-4-10. Yeah, initially low scoring and inaccurate affairs. Uh, Newman and Biddle continued their great season by getting Westies over the line in a high pressure and, as you mentioned, very scrappy game. The large ground not appealing to either, appear to do either side any favours. And it took right until late into the first quarter before any goal, well, one goal was scored. The pressure was on with neither side wanting to give an inch, with Elsgood, when Elsgood shot out a handball, resulting in a bit of goal. The Doggies got within nine points, but with the Westies, a bit of inaccuracy still didn't stop them from taking the win. Bulldogs defender Kimberly uh, Fry battled hard with eight disposals, six tackles and four rebounds, 50. The disposals there for Westies, uh, Newman on 19, Biddle, Cohane and Martin on 18, Owen on 14. For the Doggies, Fry on 18, D. Sodomon on 16, Stewart and Teague with 13. The goals for uh, West, Fiddle on 2, Elsford 1 and Central's Wilson with 1. West is maintaining 4th spot, but with a 5th place by 
Tigers having a superior percentage, but she's need to keep winning and winning well. They have the Eagles coming up, so the opportunity is there. The Bulldogs still on two wins, but face a rampaging roosters next week. So let's have a look at round nine of the Sanford Women's Competition, the second last round. Three games being played on Good Friday, one game on the Saturday. Yep. We begin on Friday at 3.45pm uh, local time, Prospect Oval, North Adelaide versus Central District. Yes, so there's plenty on the line here for the Roosters as they chase their fifth win on a row. Facing North at home isn't going to make the task any easier for the Bulldogs. And I'm predicting big things for the Roosters getting closer to finals there, Peter. 4.45pm local time on Good Friday. City Mazda Stadium, West Adelaide play host to Woodville West Torrens. Yep, Westy's percentage at the moment is stopping them from going any higher on the ladder. So they need to keep winning and they need to gain as much percentage as humanly possible. And playing the Eagles, this may be the week to do just that. I suspect this game will show us just how serious the Bloods are at playing finals. West for me. At ACH Group Stadium, Good Friday night, 6.45pm local time, Glenelg versus Sturt. Yeah, these two topsy-turvy sides have been up and down a bit for most of the season, but with their first win on their home deck last week against the reigning Premiers, I would expect the Tigers to be up and about and make it two in a row. Tigers for me there, Peter. And finally, hold on to your hat on Saturday, so no doubt the remaining women who played in the other games might all come down Saturday, 12.30pm local time to Flinders University Stadium to watch this big duel between South Adelaide and Norwood. Oh, yeah. I, this, what a game this is going to be. This is the clash of the Titans. Again, did the Panthers take their foot off the gas last week to prepare for this week, or did they get ahead of themselves? In, I agree what could be the grand final preview. The two top two teams are going to go hard at it, uh, with Norwood being the red-hot favourite, even at South home ground. The Panthers need it more, but the Red Legs, oh, they're firing an incident, and I think it's going to be hard for any team to stop them at the moment, Peter. And what an epic game this should shape to be. But I think the Red Legs might just get over the line. Well, Ali, thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Before we let you go, where can people find you on the Two Crows podcast? Yeah, you can find us at, at Two Crows podcast, hashtag Two Crows footy. And um, just get out and get around all your local football, as everyone does for the women's thing. Uh, can't wait to see you all there. And joining us on the line now to take a look at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, we've got on the line our Sydney reporter and Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, pretty good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Feeling fantastic as we hit round two of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And we start with the first game, uh, the Inner West Magpies, 4-3-27. No match for the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, 12-9-81. Yeah, look, it certainly ended up being a, a bit bigger margin than I um, and I had predicted, and I mean, look, the the Bulldogs got off to a a good start. Um, held the Magpies scoreless in the first quarter, and um, yeah, the the Magpies obviously really really struggled from there. Um, but their four goal kickers were all individual, so Rantel or Rantel, Emery, Emery uh, Ekman, and Goldfinch, and uh, and the goal kickers for uh, for UNSW. Uh, Beck Rotelli uh, came out with a bang again, kicking six, and uh, Staunton three, Mackerel two, and uh, and Beerman one. So uh, plenty of options up there for the Bulldogs. And uh, as I said, they um, yeah they they certainly carried on their good form from um, you know from uh, round one. 
um, well, they had a, a good first up match. So, uh, yeah, some, some strong goal kickers there for the Bulldogs. Uh, the Southern Power, 10, 11, 71. Big winners over UTS, 2, 3, 15. Yeah, look, I I uh, wouldn't say that to many of my power teammates, but I did uh, tip against them uh, when we spoke last week. But uh, as I said, UTS are a bit of a bogey side for them last year. But um, look, power um, had a fantastic game. Uh, look, things were pretty close for the first quarter, but then power got a little bit of a break on on the uh, bats and, and were never headed from there. And um, and the uh, Ree Lotter for the power kicked five and Ash McClure three. So... Uh, you know, another side with with players kicking kick a couple of bags. So, um, Power would be happy to uh, get their first win on the board. Um, you know, early on in the season. The Sydney Uni Bombers nine fourteen sixty eight defeated the Newtown Breakaways. Just the three behinds. Yeah, look, I think we both thought um, the score on or the margin at least might be similar to this. Um, obviously, you never like to see a team uh, with such a low score and and go. Go a match goalless. Uh, they actually got all of their uh, all of their behinds in the second quarter. And uh, look, Sydney Uni were fairly even throughout. Um, they opened with three goals five, and uh, as I said, obviously ended up uh, winning by just under eleven goals. But um, I mean, look, the yeah, I mean Sydney Uni were just too good, and um, they've certainly done the opposite uh, to what they did last year, and they've really started twenty nineteen off um, quite strong, Peter. And in a result that would have raised a few eyebrows, the East Coast Eagles, 6-7-43, defeated Macquarie University, 4-3-27. Yeah, well, look, I thought the result could have been a similar scoreline, but, you know, flipped it on its head. So uh, I was certainly a little bit surprised when I um, when I read this scoreline myself. And I guess it shows that, uh, look, the Eagles have definitely recruited well. They've uh, got Riley McGartland, who I think was playing with the Wollongong Saints in Division One last year. Uh, they've got Renee Tompkins from the Giants, and they also just signed Hanine Zariga, who played a first match for them um, on the weekend. And, and they've got a couple of really good youngsters coming through. Um, and, yeah, they've got a good spread of talent across, I guess, all their lines. So uh, still a little bit surprising that... Uh, that they beat Makinia, that Makinia were my pick uh, to, to go a long way this year. So um, I think they're showing that, uh, at least in the short term, their promotion to Premier Division um, has been a, you know, um, I guess they've earned it. It's been a right decision by the uh, by AFL Sydney. And joining us on the line now to have a look at the QAFLW competition for season 2019. It's our great privilege to have on the line from AFL Queensland, Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. Round two of the QAFLW was played over the weekend. And uh, for the Apsley Hornets, after a really good start in round one, a bit of a reality check against Yoronga South Brisbane. Yeah, I, I suppose that's right. And I think it was, you know, a really good tussle for, for both sides. Obviously, Asley, um had the big win against the depleted Cooper um, in round one. And this is probably um, maybe more of a, a bit more realistic um, kind of contest for them against the Yoronga team that missed finals last year, kind of, you know, rebuilding under a new coach. Um, and, you know, they sit pretty at the top of the ladder, at the top end. Uh, they're 2-0. and And, you know, Asley, as you said, they lost one. They've won one. But I still think there's plenty of positives um, to take away from the game. One thing that caught my eye was two goals for Sam Virgo. What is a defender doing down forward? <laughs> well, I think she's playing a bit uh, a bit more in the midfield um, for Yoronga at QAFLW level as opposed to obviously in defence uh, formerly with the Brisbane Lions. Now, 
Um, so, I don't know, I, she, she just snuck forward, I suppose. It was interesting that the Devils only had the three goal scorers and managed to pump out seven goals between them. So, obviously, Virgo, you know, found enough space and poise to, you know, finish with two majors, which, you know, you always take. Having a look to the second game of the round and Cooling Gatter Tweed flex their muscles over UQ Red Lions, a 76-6. to six. Yeah, that, this is probably maybe the most surprising result um, from the round, especially, you know, these two teams faced off in the semi-final last year. And um, it was almost a reverse result in that game. UQ kind of walked over them a bit. But Cool and Gatter, um, you know, they've got a heap of players back um, from injuries over the summer. They, You know, their injury list was just massive um, in the back end of last year. Um, you know, if they've got all of those players back, um, obviously as a club near the... Queensland, New South Wales coast, they've been able to kind of poach a few um, players that are playing in those Northern Rivers um, female space in Northern New South Wales. Um, girls like Amy Fortescue, she kicked the goal on the weekend and across their two games so far, she's really been one of their kind of steady performers against uh, both games. But yeah, as you said, it was a really surprising result. Um, and I know the Cool and Gatter coach, Matt Bedford, he was really adamant he wanted to get into this Easter break this weekend. Uh, with two wins and obviously when you're trying to keep UQ scoreless for pretty much the whole game aside from two minutes, you know, you take that and you obviously achieve that with the girls. A couple of well-known names amongst the best there for the Bluebirds, including Jordan Membry and Maddie Roberts. Yeah, well, Jordan Membry, she, she played at Wilston Grange last year, won a premiership, obviously got drafted by Collingwood um, and she's gone back down to Cool and Gatter Tweed um, where she used to play a few years ago. So it's it's really nice to... Um, see her just slot straight back into the lineup. A few um, AFLW girls, obviously, um, with the season finishing, have, have taken you know one or two weeks off from state league competition just to you know reset the body. But Jordan slotted straight in there, and I think she's really been a a welcomed addition to the Cool and Gatter side, who you know sit at the top of the table, and you know, things looking pretty rosy for them at the moment. Cooperoo two four sixteen went down to Bond University eight ten fifty eight. This is, this is probably the most hard game to read into. Just because Cooperoo, they've kind of been the benchmark of the competition for the last couple of years. I know they haven't won a flag, but they've made two straight grand finals. They've fallen short both times. But, um, you know, it's, it's really surprising to see them kind of at the bottom of the ladder and only kicking two, three goals for the opening two rounds of the competition. But um, Bond University, I suppose it's a good story for them after, you know, just, just falling short. Um, in round one to Yeronga to kind of get their first win of the season. And I really think for the Bullsharks, it's that, that younger brigade coming through that have um, kind of been able to lift the side. Um, guys like Georgia Bremer in the um, Gold Coast Suns under-18 academy could be on a, on an AFLW draft radar this year. Um, you know, really applying her craft as a small forward and, you know, she's bopped up with a few goals every week. So um, Bond University have really kind of improved dramatically um, over these first two rounds. And um, like I said, they've, they've kind of added all this youthful exuberance into a side. They already had a you know a couple of established players and obviously their first win of the season is really good to see. Glenda Howworth named amongst the best. Uh, she kicked two goals, taking her season tally to five. Yeah, she's kind of come in leaps and strides. Um, it's her first year at Bond University. She crossed over um, from Yoronga last year where um, they kind of, you know, Yorongu kind of struggled last year, especially with their entries um, into entering the forward 50, sorry. Um, so she's obviously made made the trip down to the Gold Coast. And um, I feel like she's kind of reinvigorated her career a bit. Obviously, she got drafted by the Lions a few years ago 
um, and then got cut after one year. So to see her, you know, I think equal leading, uh, leading equally in the goal kicking, uh, sorry, with a few other girls that have also kicked five, you know, it's, it's really good to see. And, you know, I think she'll be pleased to, you know, really bear her influence on every game so far. And there's one name that Victorians might spot uh, now playing for Bond University. That's Laura Attard, uh, with her wife, Deanna Ernst, now getting work up in Brisbane and relocating up to play for a season with the Gold Coast Suns. Laura's also uh, relocated as well. Uh, a Diamond Creek Women's Football Club life member and former Carlton footballer. Yeah, it's another name that, you know, just really adds, um, you know, a lot of experience to the side. And I think that welcome addition to the competition, obviously, you know, she's relocated for work purposes. But um, I think, you know, the, the space that the QAFLW is in, you know, it really does provide that platform um, outside of Victoria for, for those footballers um, at a really competitive level. And, you know, I think the success of the Lions and hopefully the Suns in the future at AFLW level really kind of highlight the, the competitiveness of the QAFLW. And it's, it's really just great to see her part of the competition this year. And finally, a game that probably shocked the competition, Maroochydore, not only with an away win, but against the reigning Premiers. Maroochydore, 7-7-49, defeating Wilston Grange, 6-4-40. Yeah, it, oh, it was, it was, I, was, I was just so happy to see Maroochydore um, kind of get their first win. It was pretty much a year since their last one, 364 days, I think. Um going back to round one last year when they beat UQ. And um, it, it's really good because Maruchador, um they've recruited really, really well um, over the summer. But a lot of those names, you know, at AFLW level or um, they're involved, involved in state league or high performance programs, they haven't actually played for the Rouge yet. So to, to kind of snag one early when you've, you've still got all those top tier players to come back, um, you know, probably holds them in good stead for the, for the rest of the year. But the game against Wilson Grange was... It was absolutely just mind-boggling. I think they were down by uh, pretty much four goals at three-quarter time. And to come back and pip them by nine, um, it's just a great story. And I think girls like Kate Sermon, who's pretty much probably been their you know, most consistent performer through that kind of year, year-long year uh, losing streak, um, for her to kind of kick the go-ahead goal. And then um, Jesse Sills pretty much you know, up their, up their lead to, to the nine points late in the fourth quarter. Um, it, you know, it put the game beyond down and I suppose they could just really savour those last five minutes um, as the clocks kicked down. But uh, it, was, it was just a great story to see and hopefully, you know, Marichal can get up back on the win column in, you know, the coming weeks as well. Like you mentioned, it's a huge confidence booster. It wasn't a case of we've got the lead and we're holding on for grim death. It's coming from behind and having to overtake the reigning premiers on their turf at Wilston Grange, that is a heck of a performance. And also, if I have a look again, uh, around their uh, best players, Sermon was the only one who was in their best last week. So it's good to see they're not relying upon just the same players to step up and do the job. Yeah, it, it's really good to see, um, you know, Marucho, they, they really do have a good culture at the club. And despite, you know, kind of being on the wrong side of results, I don't think um, the team, you know, really ever waved in their, in their confidence throughout that spell. And like you said, to to not just, you know, work your way into the lead and hold it. It was the fact that they, um, you know, found themselves down. You know, they were kind of level pegging with the reigning premiers through the first half, slipped in the third quarter, and then to come back, it really does show the resilience of the team. And I know their coach, Stu Jackson, was absolutely wrapped um, to get, to get you know, that win. And it's not just, you know, that they broke the streak. I think it's just a bit of a reward for effort um, because, like I said, um, 
just previously. You know, they were on the, the end of some bad results that kind of didn't reflect in their way. But I don't think any of those games, they really, you know, dropped their heads or um, they always thought they were right in the contest. So to finally come out on top, it, it, it's just a great story. Well, and thanks very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Enjoy the week off for the Easter break, and we look forward to catching up with you next week when we take a quick look at round three. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And joining us on the line now, she was famous for her Kiss of Death segment throughout the season. We are now reviewing Conference A of the AFLW season 2019. It's great to have back on the line again, Coach Kiwi herself, Lisa Kiwi-Roper. Kiwi, how are you? I'm very good, very good. I'm just um, bewildered, um, emotional, happy, excited, amazed. Everything about this trade week. Boy, how busy has it been? Unbelievably insane. We'll touch on some of the trades as we go along talking about Conference A. We did talk about Conference B last week, so I'll take a very quick step back because we touched on both Carlton and Collingwood. And who are we to know that literally a couple of days after we recorded that Bree Davey has said, uh, allegedly, I want out of here and I want to go to the Pies? Yeah, boy, um, is that having your pie and your cake and eating it too? That's... um Collingwood must be just, you know, running around looking at what can they do to get her because that's huge to have, you know, the captain of the team that played in the grand final wants to come to your team when, um, you know, you finish bottom of your conference. So, yeah, that's exciting time surprise. Um, extremely sad for the Blues. Like you said, it's incredibly puzzling. If she said that she wanted to go to, for example, Melbourne, who had always been there about near finals, you could understand all the ruse who had been, um, you know, stacked with talent, or Geelong, who looked like that they could do with one or two more good players, or the expansion clubs like Richmond and St Kilda. You could go, okay, they've probably put a bit of money on the table and she wants a fresh start at a fresh club. But like you said, it's very strange to go to the Wooden Spoon team, who have probably got quite a few years of rebuilding ahead of them, really haven't got much to offer in the way of a trade. And at the same time, as we speak, as we record, they are currently without a coach. Well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, kind of start to wonder now, does she know if Nicole Graves is going over there and they've struck up a bond? Or does she know of maybe Beck Goddard going in there and she wants to be coached by her? Or... Um, yeah, there, there could be some other things that she knows. I do know her dad is a passionate Collingwood supporter and he always struggled to cheer her on when she uh, ran out in the navy blue. So he may, you know, you never know. He might be um, leaning on his shoulder and telling her to get to the fight. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think I think she's a former St Kilda Shark as well, so that could have been an easy way to um, get her across to that side of town. But... But she's requested the pies of all the clubs that she could pick from. Well, that would be the interesting thing since you mentioned St Kilda Shark because the VFLW head coach at Collingwood is Penny Kula-Reed. And no doubt her name would be in discussions to take on the AFLW head coach role. If Penny did become AFLW head coach, we do remind listeners that not only were they teammates at the Sharks, uh, Penny and Bree were co-captains of the Sharks in 2017 when they made their deep run to the preliminary final and nearly knocked off Darriman. Aha, right. Yes, well, I think, you know, there's silly if they're not looking at Penny to step up as well. I thought she had the VFL team playing, you know, extremely good football last year. So uh, that could be the connection that's needed. 
Well, we said we're talking about Conference A, so let's get back to it and have a look at Conference A. Uh, I'm going to break some bad news to Paul Groves. I, I hear Paul Groves was in favour of the conference system. Well, I hate to tell you, Paul, but technically you went from Premiers to Wooden Spooners because you did finish last, last in your conference, that is, uh, with two wins and five losses for the Western Bulldogs. Um, they lost um, some players prior to the season beginning, two big players in Emma Carney and Gemma Bruton. And you've got a feeling in in one or two games, like particularly the uh, loss against uh, Melbourne, you look at that and you go, geez, if Emma Carney, Emma, Jenna Bruton's there, that result's different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Ali stepped up in the midfield, but probably didn't step up to the level that they had with, with her working with Carney. So that left a bit of a hole to fill. Uh, they started the season strong. You know, I think they were the only team that really um, knocked off Adelaide, even even though Adelaide kicked poorly that day. But uh, Bulldogs did enough to stop them. So it just was interesting that throughout the season, they just didn't seem to get the results where you thought they might have. Or they might have had the run of a team. They didn't quite get there. So, yeah, there was probably, you know, just probably lacking a little bit of edge somewhere through that, through the middle of the season. They also lost Astro O'Connor to uh, the Geelong Cats. And during the season, they didn't have Brooke Lachlan, of course, as we knew um, with that leg injury uh, during the preseason game. They were also missing for a number of games. Isabel Huntington trying to come back from uh, her ACL. So they were never really truly at 100% the Western Bulldogs. And you kind of look at it going, it's a bit harsh to say they were wooden spooners of Conference A and they only had two wins when really they weren't the premiership side that they were last year but they really should have been knocking on the door of the four. Yeah, they were, you know, they still had some quality players amongst the team. And, you know, it was Libby Birch. I think she was, you know, ranked in the top five for spoils. And you had Monique Conti, who um, she was ranked, I think, third for contested possessions. And she's a small player as well. So, you know, she played big. And um, interesting to note that she has not quite been re-signed yet. So... Um, you'd want to hold on to her, I think. Yes. Would Monique Conti end up at the Tigers? We asked that question according to one Channel 7 reporter, the Jungle Drums are beating. Watch this space. As we know, mm-hmm. Katie Brennan has already left and gone to the Tigers. And would it be fair to say, taking money aside, and I don't begrudge any uh, women's footballer that says, look, frankly, I went to the other club because they were offering me a lot more money. No one's going to begrudge them, particularly when you're semi-professional. Do you have a feeling that maybe yeah. Katie went to the Tigers because perhaps the Bulldogs didn't really feel like her side? And I say that as in she was captain in 2017 but missed a number of games through injury, so Ali really had to take over the role as captain. In 2018, she missed a couple of games, including the grand final. So the Premiership Cup was actually lifted by Ali Blackburn, as the history records will show. She was co-captain this year with Ali. Do you have a feeling that Katie was probably thinking inside, this is not really my team, this is Ali's team. I need to go elsewhere to claim that team as truly my team? Uh, you know, you, you might be um, onto something there. She she also sort of played uh, with not real the real presence she had in season one as as a tall forward. You know, she kind of owned the half-forward line a fair bit. But this year she didn't really dominate as much as she probably could have or should have for the Bulldogs. So, yeah, she may be feeling a little bit out of sorts. And, 
you know, perhaps it is something to do with the money that she, that Richmond are offering here, and it could be other opportunities with um, employment and sponsorship, and you know, things outside of the club. That um, you know, she's probably lost some income over the years in dedicating to football, as many players have. So, yeah, you're right. We can't really begrudge anyone for um, doing something to you know, develop their career the outside Mel- of football, I guess. The Melbourne Football Club finished fourth, uh, four wins and three losses. Again, just outside the top four. Uh, the curse continues. Um, they lost four players before the start of the season, uh, three of which they were definitely expecting to lose. Anna Teague, uh, Rochelle Cranston, Aaron Hoare had all played previously with Geelong VFLW. They were expecting to lose them to Geelong. They managed to hold on to Lily Mithen, who they feared that lose to Geelong. Um, but they lost Melissa Hickey, and of course the famous Hickey name at Geelong meant that there was a good chance that she was going. So they lost four. It was probably expected. They weren't expecting not to have Daisy Pierce, but of course, as we know, hey, Daisy was pregnant, and of course, congratulations to her and her wonderful twins. So they, they were technically without five players as they came in. So for them to actually hold the ship and still be competitive, losing those five players, um, three of them, I'd say, are A-graders in there. Rochelle Cranston, Melissa Hickey, and uh, Daisy Pierce uh, spending the season out. That's still a hell of an effort to be within a whisker of the finals. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and, you know, they've just consistently done it over the last three seasons. They've just held on to be just on the edge of the finals. And even to lose so many really good quality players, they're able to stay on the edge of the season, which was really good to see. Um, their midfield is quite solid. And no doubt with um, Jane Lang in there as their coach, you know, there is that Darabin connection and I think um, what they've developed over the years is just now you're starting to see that sort of blossom a little bit more and, you know, Patsy had a good season. Lauren Pierce had a fantastic season. Elise O'Day, you know, a ripper season. Um, and Lily, you know, Lily played with Darabin last season and she's a Richmond fan through and through from what I gather. So I'm surprised if Kate Sheehan hasn't knocked her on her door before she signed the contract with Demons or, or the D's got him very quickly knowing that um, Tigers could come hunting anytime soon. But yeah, I guess the D's have signed a good quality 18 going into next season. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see who they top that list up with. But um, I think the obvious admission to that is one Daisy Pierce, not re-signed yet. Well, like you just mentioned before, the Daisy Pierce name. Yes, they they signed most of their core, which was fantastic. They're all locked in, and they know that they're about. They just need a sprinkling of some good young talent, and they do have like Captain Smith, who stepped up in the midfield. It's great to see they do have uh, plenty of youngsters doing well for them and coming through. That's going to drive them for the next few years. But as I went on Twitter and I mentioned to you, I think off air rubber uh, a few weeks ago, I'm throwing a Molotov cocktail into the trade period signing forum debate, um, and this obviously by the time this program goes to air from when we record this interview, it could have all changed in that space of 24 hours. But I note as we record, Daisy Pierce has not put pen to paper at Melbourne. And I throw open this question. Is it awkward perhaps for Daisy Pierce to come back to Melbourne knowing that the reins of captaincy are in the hands of Elise Day and Shelley Scott? Does she feel comfortable sitting in the background as no longer the captain? Or would she come back and take over captaincy? Or does she feel it as an opportunity of, look, I've had, you know, a bit of time away from Melbourne now, um, having the kids. Maybe it's time with the kids and the family to have a fresh start. And 
Peter Searle is coach of the St Kilda Saints in the AFLW. Peter just happened to be Daisy's old coach at Darabin and they won many flags together. Has Peter Searle picked up the phone? Because I note that the Saints have announced no big names yet and there's no way they're going into the AFLW season without naming any big names. Could Daisy Pierce be the one? The big thing, the big fish that leaves Melbourne and goes to the Saints. Yes. Well, there's at least two teams, current teams, without a captain. So there's those vacancies to fill, as well as the new teams. And, yeah, Peter Thiel is a very, very smart coach. And, um, you know, I'm sure she probably has called Daisy. Um, And if there's an option, you never know. She might be working on it while we speak. There could be another couple of names going to the Saints, which we'll mention at the moment, because we go to the third spot and the Kangaroos. North Melbourne, Tasmania. It came down to essentially an elimination final in the last round when they lost to Fremantle, which knocked them out of the finals. Technically had a record worthy of a top four position, but uh, conferences, so they missed out. What we do know with North Melbourne... um, is, you know, they will lose some players. They will lose uh, Jamie Stanton, who's a Queenslander, who's going back home. She signed with the Gold Coast Suns. Uh, we do also know that they haven't signed yet, as we speak, Jess Duffin. That name's still out there. Courtney Munn's name's out there, and her name's been linked in various circles to St Kilda. So watch the space on those two footballers. Yeah, it's interesting um, how the Kangaroos went this year, and I guess, Everyone thought that they had done probably what Richmond are currently doing in that they picked some really quality players to um, set them up for a premiership and then just sort of fell short at the at the end of the season when they needed to. But they have re-signed um, a core of really solid players with, um, with Gibson, Carney and even Emma King in there. So I think they'll go all right next year and they'll probably, without a doubt, top that up um, with some young talent. But, yeah, it is very interesting that Jess Duffin has not re-signed because um, she was obviously very solid with them and um, you wouldn't want to let her go. It's interesting because um, the clubs only have a, a, a certain level of uh, players that they can fit into the Tier 1 cap. I think it's four players in the end. And I think of, when I look at North Melbourne, Tasmania, the Tier 1 players, you go, OK, you've got Emma Carney, who's obviously the Tier 1 player. Jenna Bruton would be a Tier 1 player now based on her performance. Um, Emma King would be a Tier 1 player. And then you've got a bunch of others and you're going, oh, is Jasmine Garner the Tier 1 player? Is it Jess Duffin? Is there the squeeze on for the fourth spot that maybe Jess doesn't quite fit into the equation of being their top four for tier one? So therefore, and again, not begrudging the players that they're chasing more money elsewhere because they're semi-professional, does Jess go to the Saints because the Saints will have space for a tier one player? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. And I don't know if it would work out geographically for her because I know that she... Um, played the VFL for Williamstown, so that's kind of the other yeah. side of and, the bridge. And really, she's got work, and her works out in Werribee. Yeah, so so geographically, you think she wouldn't go? Um, but then, so yeah, it would make much more sense. But but then you throw that out there, of course, of what what, what package is being offered by the football clubs, where some will be offering packages to some players along the lines of tier one or two, two level. Plus, he's a development job or whatever on the side at the club, which is perfectly fine and legal. 
Yeah, exactly. And they may be able to offer her a role where she can give up that work at Werribee and work around the football club and balance it off with cricket because um, she's a mighty fine cricketer. So there might be that um, option that they're writing in. And, and the delay could also be checking in with the cricket um, the cricket team to see what contract she's getting there as well. So um, it is a it is a bit of a wait and see, isn't it? I think we've only got a couple of days left so, so all to uncover. So all in all, how do you rate the kangaroo season? Considering some actually tipped them for the flag, I, won, I was one of those who tipped them to finish mid-table. So ding, ding, I was on the money. Um, what do you rate in the end the kangaroo's performance of finishing third in Conference A and actually third overall? Uh, yeah, look, I think I tipped them for a grand final spot. I also tipped um, Giants, and there you go, the kiss of death worked mighty fine. Um, they they probably, the game against Adelaide probably is where they were showing some of their shortcomings perhaps, and um, maybe other teams exploited that a little bit coming in late in the season. Because uh, they've got a very solid lineup, they've got some quality players all over the park, and perhaps they just need a little bit more time to gel together. And whether that's something that they can do when they go back and play with Melbourne Uni through the winter, um, you know, much like Adelaide Crows sort of do under the Northern Thunder banner, um, you know, and you know they've kept their core so far for next season. So, yeah, I think I think they may use this year as just. You know, here's a stepping stone. Next year we're going to go a lot better and, um, you know, and um, with Scott re-signing, I think, is a real key move as well that he's working all through winter with the Melbourne Uni team and then with um, the Kangaroos when it comes to the AFLW comp. The side that finished second but got knocked out in the semi-finals was the Fremantle Dockers, and to be honest, they're my true surprise packet of 2019 because they finished down in the bottom two in 2018. They were shedding some players. Kirby Bentley went, uh, and then she went across to uh, Carlton for the year. Belinda Smith left. She went to the uh, Western Bulldogs. Uh, Tia Haynes was delisted, and a couple of um, known names were delisted off their side, and we thought, oh, this looks like it's going to be a rebuilding year for Fremantle, plus Michelle Cowan had left, and you thought, yeah, they, they're going to have the struggles this year. Instead, they surprised everyone just the one loss through the home-and-away season. Yeah, I thought they had an outstanding season. And you're right, they I think they caught everybody on the surprise there. And, you know, the, to have Kiara Bowers play like she did, Dana Hooker stepping up as she did, you know, they had some really key players that were consistent throughout the season. And, you know, and then they uncovered the young um, Duffy, you know, young players that then came through. And Paris, I thought, did really well in the ruck. So, um there was that talent that they then got the young ones coming up to the big ones and um, and Donnellan was she was solid again for, for the third year so I thought you know they probably just worked on stuff perhaps that Michelle's been trying to get them to do over the last couple of years there is a saying that a team takes three years to do what the coach is telling them to do mm-hmm. so you know we don't know if that was it or you know they just had a um, a whole, you know, monkeys off her back, let's just go play football. And sometimes that works for a team and you just fire a little bit better with um, with less pressure. So perhaps they did that, but they kicked a bucket load of goals. And um, and that's really where they struggled in the other two seasons is to actually convert through the big stick. So, um, but you're losing Dana Hooker 
to um, their crosstown rivals for next year is um, is a tough one for them. But um, I'm sure keeping the core of their group, they'll still be pretty solid next year. I reckon, you know, they only probably missed out in the grand final spot because because of those injuries they had right before the prelim final and because I think they've got Carlton at home who just had a day where they were just on fire. So I would expect Creo to still be pretty solid next year. They're trying to survive the raid, though, that is coming from the West Coast Eagles. Some of the names that have been taken, Melissa Caulfield, Dana Hooker, which is a big one, um, and also they've taken uh, the ruck in Paris Laurie. So uh, it, it's just hold hold down uh, the battens there for the Fremantle Dockers of what's the quality that they're going to be losing to West Coast, just like the Brisbane Lions were losing to the Gold Coast Suns. Yeah, absolutely, and... Um by all accounts, Eagles haven't finished raiding Frio yet, so um, there's perhaps you know another few names that may shift across as well. So, um, and and that's always going to be the battle when you get a second team come into your state um, sort of pool of players. So um, it's yeah, it's going to be interesting for both Frio and Brisbane to bounce back because um, Brisbane have been really cold a little bit. Um, and um, and then Giants are probably a different ball game where they're, most of their team are from Victoria, not local talent. And um, and then Adelaide is on a different level completely. So, um, so yeah, Frio can um, fight the challenges from Eagles. Uh, they might be able to keep a few that, they, that Eagles are chasing. And finally, the top of Conference A and the Premiers, the Adelaide Crows. We, we flash back to round one. They kicked one goal something. I think it was one goal 11 against the Western Bulldogs and lost by a point. And everyone went, oh, geez, what a game. And everyone just thought, oh, geez, the Crows are going to struggle this year, aren't they? And then immediately from round two onward, they flicked the switch and were the highest scoring side throughout the competition, belting everyone along the way. Points scored, 396. That is uh, about 43 points more than anybody else and conceded the less points in the competition, 186. The next best effort for uh, points uh, conceded was Geelong with 235. So a frightening offence, a tight defence, and you think... Particularly with Erin Phillips coming back, because she she was partially injured throughout and had a hampered 2018 season due to her quad, as we called it, the quad awareness injury. Um, they picked up Renee Fourth. They lost one or two. Uh, one of the Allen sisters um, um, who was going off to join the army. They got Sophie Lee uh, in from Carlton, and everyone thought, oh, okay, they'll be thereabouts again. But no one saw the the, the brutality of what they were serving up. Yeah, you know, I think um, Adelaide has just taught everyone a lesson in football, really. They, um, you know, perhaps had the advantage of spending the season playing together um, in the VFL. But having said that, if you look at their stats, they just dominated in a whole lot of areas that really come down to just skill efficiency. You know, their their disposal efficiency was the highest. Um, Their uncontested possessions, they averaged about 23 more than anyone else in a game. That's, you know, that's pretty huge. Their clearances, they had the most clearances. Uh, they had the best percentage for um, goals along with, actually, sorry, second best. Kangaroos just pipped them for that. 
Um, but, you know, they had the most kicks. They, they averaged 143 for kicks and 91 for handballs. And the next closest to that was um, uh, GWS was 82 for handballs. Melbourne were 92 for handballs also. But for kicks, no one was close. You know, they're all sitting around 120 or 130 for kangaroos. So they just, the way they used the ball and the way they um, kept possession so easily is just the type of footy that, you know, perhaps the other teams need to really work on is that skill efficiency and just um, good decision-making. You know, they didn't they didn't seem to panic under pressure. They looked for their good options, um, you know, and, you know, you, they were full of superstars and without those superstars, they're full of a whole heap of others who also stepped up. So, you know, I... I think Ebony Marinoff did not win the tackle count this year, but she stepped up in another way. So you've got to look at your team and sort of think, you know, if you are a star at this, but you're not a star at this, what can we work on to develop that part of your game? And I think that's what the Crows have done is is they've gone and obviously they started with 11 behinds and one goal and went, let's, let's work on some better efficiency in front of the goal and came back and then belted. And I think, I think their third quarter, they averaged something like five goals a game in the third quarter consistently after round one, which is pretty phenomenal to be able to do that. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, you know, Aaron is a superstar and I think Chelsea Randall is amazing. So um, pretty hard to beat um, players when they play at the level that those particular ones are playing. And let's not forget, I'm going to get on the bandwagon because I've been talking about her for the last couple of years, Chloe Shear, and the fantastic year that she had uh, coming through in her first season and the mark that she took in the grand final. But we speak of Chloe and we speak of Erin. We don't know if they're going to both miss the full season or if they'll come back in late in the 2020 season. It is a, a race against the clock for them to come back from their respective injuries. So let's say that they're going to miss out. So they're down two very, very good footballers to start the next year. But when you look at the trade table, at this present moment, they've actually lost nobody. The only thing that I'm hearing about is possibly Sarah Perkins won't return to Adelaide next year simply because um, she struggled to get into the side this year and plus the whole big move from Victoria over to Adelaide to, to be able to play with the Crows. I would not be surprised if I see her popping up at somewhere like St Kilda. Um, but in, in any case, when it comes to the actual trade table, I don't see them losing anyone out of their current best 21. Yeah, I think you're correct. Um, yeah, the, I reckon they will probably keep them all. Yes, Perko will probably come back. Um, and and probably simply because she couldn't get a run as, as well as Crows kept playing. It was harder for players, you know, on the fringe to get back into the team. So Perko's bound to come back to Melbourne and, and sign on with somebody there. Um, and yeah, for Chloe and Erin to do their knees so late in the season, I think it's around about a 12-month injury. So, um, or 11 month injury. So, they're going to have to try and move the rehab, you know, down closer to about nine months so that they can get back on the field. And, um, you know, and as amazing as Erin is, it might be at a stretch for her to come back in, you know, shorten her recovery time. But, um, yeah, I think for Chloe, it might be, um, might be hard to see the both of them back actually for next year. But, um, but yeah, they're, yeah, unless they can get Renee, if Eagles approach Renee Forbes to go back to um, that side of the country, 
I don't really see anyone else leaving the Crows. And then you'll probably get Jess Allen who'll come back in mm. um, after a year in the Army. And, you know, Sarah's done so well this season, so without a doubt, Jess will probably have her the, turn next year and step up too. This this is the frightening thing. If you have a look at the sides that uh, made the finals, Fremantle have taken a hit and are losing players to West Coast. Carlton are going to lose Bree Davey. And who else... We don't know they're going to lose because they haven't announced some, some other signings. Um, Geelong have lost their number one ruck and Erin Hoare, who's over, uh, doing her uh, research fellowship overseas. Um, the Kangaroos are probably going to lose a, a couple of key players. As we mentioned, Duffin is one of those names that are out there. Um, and you know, look at GWS Giants, for example. They've lost a number of players. The Bulldogs have lost a number of players. You look at the Crows and you go, because the Crows haven't, uh, besides uh, Chloe and Erin that might not be back through the injury, you go, the Crows are pretty much together. It's, it's, how can any side challenge them? Maybe Melbourne haven't lost too many, so maybe Melbourne could challenge them for the flag. Maybe Geelong, if they recruited one or two more. Maybe the Kangaroos, if they got it together come finals time. But realistically, at the moment... Adelaide's the only team that's that's held it all together, and they're the premiers. Yeah, exactly. And you know that could be also a chance for Erin to take time to get her knee right and come back for another three or four years after season four, and they can still dominate. It's right. so you know I think a Crows team without Erin could still dominate the league. Absolutely frightening. Well, Coach Kiwi, thank you very much for looking at Conference B with us last week and Conference A with us uh, this week. Thank you for all your tips and reviews that you did throughout the 2019 AFLW season. And we look forward to hearing you next when you join us in the special comments position during our VFL Women's Match of the Day coverage, which uh, kicks off on Sunday, May 5th. Yes, looking forward to it. And um, thanks for... Thanks for... um getting me on for the show. It's been interesting and I'm sorry to all the Giants fans out there if I tip them to death throughout the season um, and any others. Um, and I will be down for the Giants games when they come and play in the BSL as well. Um, but also I've got one thing. Is this late mail that Ash Brazil could be swapped for Bree Davies? It may have been something that I threw out there on Twitter. Hashtag unofficial source. <laughs> It's always fun to stir up Twitter for a couple of days. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another Wednesday evening. Just a reminder, this program is available as a podcast by going to iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud or Spotify and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can find us online at warfradio.com on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash WARF radio or on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash WARF radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden and it's bye for now.